Hey, Unsettled listeners. This is producer Max Friedman, back with another bonus episode from our documentary, The Shepherd and the Settler, which originally premiered in September on the BBC World Service. If you haven't yet heard The Shepherd and the Settler, go listen to it now. You can find it on the BBC's documentary podcast or right here on Unsettled. If you have heard The Shepherd and the Settler, you know that the story begins in a remote Palestinian herding community called Rashash. But what you don't know is how I ended up in Rashash in the first place. It was Israeli activists from a group called Ta'ayush who first told me about Rashash, and one of the founders of Ta'ayush was there with me that day. His name is Amiel Vardi, and you heard just a snippet of his voice in the original documentary, right after the settler who we called Baruch called me a tourist. You are also, you're also a tourist? Yes. From where you are, tour? You are not under interrogation. <laughs> That you'll tell to the police. We are not under interrogation. That was Amiel. He's the chair of the classics department at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And a couple times a week, he crosses into the occupied West Bank to stand with Palestinians, mostly in an area called the South Hebron Hills, or South Mount Hebron. A few months after my visit to Rishash, I called Amiel with a few follow-up questions. First, about the history of his group, Ta'ayush. Okay, so uh, Taish was formed uh, in 2000 following uh, a clash uh, between Israeli authorities and uh, uh, Palestinians, uh, 48 Palestinians, what we call over here, that is Palestinians uh, having an Israeli uh, um, um, citizenship uh, as part as the Intifada. Um, and there was a feeling of... Uh, of a break between Jews and Palestinian uh, citizens of Israel. And it was uh, formed by a group, both Palestinians and Jews, uh, that uh, decided that somehow uh, we have to keep on working together. Uh, very uh, quickly it uh, turned that the best thing to do would be to work in the occupied territories together, Palestinians and Israelis. Uh, and the name Ta'ayush was then uh, given to it. Ta'ayush in Arabic means living in partnership. And we try to make a difference between coexistent. This is something that can be done side by side without too much intervening one in the life of the other. Uh, and partnership, which is actually working together for the same goals. And this is how we regard what we are doing. Uh, types of work changed along the years. Uh, in the beginning, the, what usually was done was big activities of hundreds uh, every month or so. And little by little, uh, it appeared to us that uh, in order to get results, the best way is to do a continuous activity, uh, smaller groups, but all the time. All the time means at least once a week, uh, having a, an action with a, a number of, uh, of activists, and smaller things, uh, by one or two 
throughout the weekdays as well. So that's about uh, how, we, in a nutshell, what happened. What was the problem with the... Can you say more about the bigger actions and why you decided that was not the way to go? Okay, uh, uh, more than one problem. Think, first of all, doing something and then disappearing and then doing something somewhere else after months, we found out that it isn't really uh, making a change. And in order to make a change, you have to keep a contact with the uh, population, even if it means uh, doing it in very specific places in which, you, in which you can follow it up over a long period. It took us quite a lot of time to, to realize that. Uh, but uh, that's over 10, over 10, well over 10 years now. Uh, we we adopted that kind of activity, which means uh, in South Mount Hebron, uh, we've been working uh, for years, coming there every Saturday with a bigger group, uh, and then uh, in weekdays, uh, one or two of us go there a couple of times more, and uh, and of course we keep on being uh, in contact and con uh, continuously over. Telephone. When you say that the 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 larger actions um, weren't making the change, and in order to make a change, you have to go to the same places over and over and over again. What kind of what kind of change are you talking about? Okay, let's let's uh, let's go back and start speaking from from the goals, and uh, and then uh, okay. If to say that we are against the occupation is true, but uh, it doesn't really uh, say much because we are a very small group. We always probably will be. Uh, and and uh, to stop the occupation as something that we really want uh, to, give a, to, to bring it to an end is, doesn't seem to be in our power. Uh, in such conditions, what we thought is our duty is to do our best in order to make it difficult and to prevent what we detect as uh, uh, things that might not be reversible and try to stop them, processes that might not be reversible. Now, the worst process of this kind is an ongoing process of uh, transferring Palestinian population from Area C, sending them to Area A and B, uh, which is, has been carried out by the Israeli authorities ever since '67, with quite a lot of success, unfortunately. Uh, in some places, Jordan River, for instance, we have very few uh, 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 people left of the original population. And there are various methods used by the authorities in order to make people leave the lands, the houses, and go to the poverty-stricken big cities. Uh, they wouldn't do it uh, by themselves. So there are ways of either preventing them from working their lands or taking over their lands, uh, demolitions, uh, 
denying them any possibility of infrastructures, okay, schools, medical care, roads, water supply, electricity, things like that, and all kinds of harassments. And uh, we, we decided that what we should try to do is try to help populations stay over uh, in whatever way we can. And uh, by going there week after the week, we seem to have managed in that little area in South Mount Hebron at least, not only to stop the process that keeps on going on all over the, uh, the, the rest of the, of the uh, occupied territories, but actually to reverse it. That is, fa families coming over back from area A into area C. So now you understand what we think we are doing. <laughs> And, uh, and therefore, why we think this kind of work is much more productive. You said, you know, you feel like it's not in your power to stop the occupation. Um, or you came to realize it was not in your power to stop the occupation because there were so few of you. I guess, how, how does that feel? Come on, let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. No, I want to talk about it. I want to uh, okay. It. <laughs> okay. I hate it. I had the feeling. I had. I hate admitting to myself that I probably shall not see the end of it in my life. Uh, and uh, and trying nonetheless to do something is something that. Needs quite a lot of 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 uh, forces, you and it's difficult. It's difficult for activists as well. We very often feel frustrated. Uh, we fail quite often. Uh, normally, when you come to an action or two, you don't really understand what's, what's the whole point of doing it, and you sometimes you are just driven away. So what, what did I help? Sometimes nothing happened, so what was I doing here? And it's only over looking over it over longer periods that you somehow realize that, wow, I mean, in South Mount Hebron, there was a massive eviction of the population in 1999-2000. Today, almost half of the evicted people are back in the area. Okay. Uh, and uh, again, these are not huge numbers. The area is not a very big one. And in other places, the process continues. But another thing that we realized it, it is that it is much easier to evict populations that is weak to begin with. And herding populations 
are the most vulnerable. And it is therefore that we center on South Mount Hebron and the Jordan Valley. Uh, these are the places where uh, we have herding communities. They are the most vulnerable because you see uh, in other areas in, in, in Samaria where you have big villages, it's more difficult to put the pressure and make the people leave. But these herding communities that live in hardly villages, I mean, you know, communities of some tents uh, with a family or two, living in the middle of nowhere, uh, extremely vulnerable. And uh, if they don't have water, so there's no water not only for them, but for the herds as well, and you cannot keep them in the desert. Uh, and if you prevent them from herding in, in uh, the areas that they're used to, no food for the herds. And uh, yeah, I mean, you've been with us in uh, Rashash. Uh, you, you do realize that since the time you've been there, in an area nearby, uh, near the Tiber Junction, uh, there used to be four herding communities. Three of them has already left. Just in the last six months? In the, yeah. Uh, we still try very much with the last community. Uh, up to last week, I had hopes uh, during this weekend. They told us that they might prefer that we do not come uh, because they were threatened by authorities, settlers. Uh, we don't know what will be the continuation of that, but that's failure. That's, this is how failure looks. Uh, but we had them before. And then we keep on trying and go to next community. And the only thing that we can say is that over long periods, it has some success. Better one in South Matrebon, where we've been working ever since 2000. Uh, in the Jordan Valley, yeah, there are quite a lot of places I can say there is a success, okay? A success means shepherds going to places from which they were driven away for years and suddenly they go there. Even bigger success is when they go there without us, a stage in which they get enough confidence to do it them by themselves. Success means Palestinians that know how to stand for their rights, and if a soldier comes and tells them, go away, I mean, normally, perhaps the wiser thing, when a soldier comes over to you, armed and tells you go away, better go away. But uh, 
In South Mount Hebron, some of them, many of them perhaps, already say, no, you cannot drive me away. Do you have any papers? Do you have any authority? Show me. Maps. Warrants. Whatever. That's a big success. <laughs> okay. What are some of the different, I mean, I know what I saw that day, but what are some of the different tactics that you see the settlers use to drive the shepherds away from their land? Okay, let's, let's start with the recent new technique of which they are very proud that it is uh, in the websites everywhere. These are the new kinds of outposts that keep herds. They come to realize that herding takes over much more land than agriculture. So that's, that's a new kind of technique. Another thing that I found very recently uh, started in that area near Rashash and, and, and the Tiber Junction, but now we have it all over the place, is uh, uh, taking these herds, the settlers' herds, into cultivated Palestinian lands. So it isn't only... Uh, an excuse to fight over grazing land or things like that, but a tool in order to to eat whatever the Palestinians have been sowing. So that's that's a new technique. Okay, older techniques. I mean, violence, harassment, uh, calling the police and army over and telling them, drive them away for us, which is very easy. And police and, and, and military will never uh, do something that is not in accordance with what the settlers want. Um, and then there are actual damages done to either crops we had just heard last week of a place, uh, South Mount Hebron near Tuane, in which they put fire to fields. This is something that we have every year. Uh, Palestinians already know that it is sometimes better to harvest a little too early, when the wheat is a little, still a little green, you gain less crop, but you prevent the firing, putting, putting the whole thing on fire. Uh, so these are kinds of techniques used by settlers. As I told you, settlers are part of it. And I think the far, by far more efficient means to drive these people uh, uh, from their lands uh, are done by the authorities and not by the settlers. And what about the, I mean, specifically what kinds of violence and harassment do you see? I mean, when I was there, the, the guy came on a, on a ATV, a tractor on, and tried to drive into the flock, and then this kid came on a horse. And is that, is that kind of thing very common? Uh, yes, violence can come up to, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, physical assaults. Uh, I mean, 
each of us has experienced uh, a number of physical assaults with that um, one degree or the other of, of, of uh, injuries, uh, broken arms, uh, things like that. Uh, every once in a while, a Palestinian gets shot or stabbed. Uh, some of them get killed. Harassment can go all the way up to killing. I, I've been thinking a lot about this guy that we met when I was there, this, this settler named I don't know if you've seen him again. Um, I, he, when I was, when, when I, I briefly spoke or he, I didn't really speak to him. He spoke to me and he called me a tourist. Um, and there was another American there that day as well. Uh, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm wondering what you think of that. What do you, what do you think of, of these Americans like me who come to, to see what's going on in, uh, Rashash and, and South Mount Hebron and places? I mean, he had such, he had such contempt for me. Um, why? I don't know. I mean, well, I can guess, but what do you, you know, was I a tourist? What do you think of the people like me who come and basically are tourists? Uh, what do you think? Uh, okay. I mean, first of all, let's start with the, with the contempt, with the haughtiness, with the, uh, I mean, settlers have the feeling that they are somehow way above us, above the law, and uh, above our values. And uh, contempt is to everyone. And in this, it goes up to policemen and things like that as well. I mean, it isn't only that they belong to a chosen people, but that within that people, there are those who know uh, God's will, and they are doing it, and therefore they are much better than all of us. It's not a f nice feeling when you meet it, when you are exposed to it. One of the things that you have to learn to live with if you want to continue activity, uh, and most important of all, not to get too angry, because otherwise you act foolishly. Uh, which is perhaps one of the good reasons why we are so few. Not everyone is capable of, of doing this uh, without really getting into a rage. Uh, that's one thing. On the other side of your question was about you as representative of what? American Jewry, uh, things like that coming over? Or, yeah, uh, and helping activity? I'm going to say something that is, for me, is one of the most difficult uh, uh, things I've learned in the last few years. We Israeli activists become more and more older and older. I mean, Tayush today, activists are above the 50, 60, some 70. 
And we do not find young Israelis who are willing to come and uh, and we have that same feeling once when we encounter soldiers and we remember that there used to be other kinds of soldiers not all of them but there always was one or two among the soldiers who really thought maybe it isn't the right thing to do and we don't see them anymore and we understand very clearly the reasons for that that is soldiers today young people today are second generations of occupiers okay they were born into it they were born into that built-in racism uh, that you have to keep in order to to continue occupy you don't you cannot do it without it I mean you cannot occupy a population that is some in some way consists of people like you they have to be others uh, and the Israeli education system that if I just look at who was minister minister of education for the last 12 years which is more or less the time in which young people spend the time in in the system right wing all of them and they were using the fact that the, the, the opportunity of being in that post in order to brainwash so all of this was said as a preparatory speech to explaining that uh, at the moment I find that people young people who still maintain values that I believe in and uh, are willing to fight for them I find them coming from abroad and I don't find them within Israeli society So on the call with me and Amiel was my co-producer Alana Levinson. Near the end, she asked Amiel if he thought it was a good idea to try to track down this settler who we called Baruch, the one who was harassing Muhammad in Rashash. A good idea for what? I mean, is it a good idea for what? In order to attract uh, people to listen to what uh, uh, he has to say? Maybe yes. A good idea in order to help the Palestinian uh, shepherds in that area, maybe not. Uh, what What for? Okay. I wasn't prepared to answer that question. I mean, no, but you, it's a good point because there's a di- like it's something that I mean to give you a peek behind the curtain a little bit. I think something that we're wrestling with is the fact that I like we consider ourselves activists, but we're also trying to make a work of journalism, and those two things have different goals. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think one of the important things to remember is that 
this situation is not one that uh, in which i mean the two sides should be given uh, equal chances the one side is so much stronger than the other that this kind of fairness doesn't work and if you take into consideration the possibility of lying as we said okay uh considering it from the side of the set of the of the Palestinian shepherd i would say no Unsettled is produced by Asaf Calderon, Emily Bell, Alana Levinson, and me, Max Friedman. If you appreciated this episode, you can help spread the word by taking a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This was part of a special series of extended interviews from The Shepherd and the Settler, which originally premiered on the BBC World Service. There's more to come, so make sure you subscribe to Unsettled wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. <laughs>